Wonderful to see visitors with us this morning. We are very grateful, obviously, for everybody's attendance this morning. Grateful that you've come out to worship the Lord with us in spirit and in truth. Last Sunday night, I preached a sermon entitled, How Jesus Must Have Hurt Long Before the Cross He Bore. Began that sermon, as you'll recall, for those of you that were here, talking about the similarities between the character portrayed as John Coffey in the movie The Green Mile and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked in that sermon how their initials were the same. As we understand them, we talked about how John Coffey was a death row inmate, how he was condemned to die for a crime he did not commit. We talked about the fact that this character in this movie, this fictitious character, how he could see what was inside of people and how he could feel what was inside of other people. And being of a very gentle spirit, he was deeply, deeply pained and troubled by the ugliness that he saw inside of people. In fact, you may recall from the movie at one point, he said... I'm tired, boss. Tired of being on the road. Mostly, I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel and hear in the world every day. There's so much of it, John Coffey said. There's so much of it. it, it it's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. Can you understand? We discussed in that sermon as well last Sunday night how our Lord Jesus Christ, the night he was betrayed, how when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, the scriptures say that he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to his disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Matthew 26 verses 37 and 8 in Mark 14, 33 and 4. In that sermon last Sunday night, we discussed how that was surely not the first and only time that Jesus must have felt so distressed and hurting to his soul. This because as we looked in the scriptures, we saw how Jesus Christ himself, truly, not some fictitious movie character, but Jesus Christ himself, we saw in the scriptures how he could see inside of people, how he could feel the ugliness inside of people. And we, we went to the scriptures several times on that, how he knew what was in men's hearts and all of the, the sin and the selfishness and things that were in there and how that must have hurt him. And as we said, we have enough struggles in our own life and the things we do know, we can't begin to get our head around what it must be like to walk into a room full of people and feel on a tangible basis all of the sin and pain and pride and ugliness and all of that stuff that is inside each and every person just piercing us like an avalanche of glass in our heads. And how much harder still, above and beyond, 
even that it would be to try to imagine how much more painful and devastating it must have been to Jesus. To Jesus Christ who was the one who was total purity and total love and, and just holiness for him. Who had such an abhorrence for sin because he knew what sin and selfishness had done to his creation since the Garden of Eden. And for him to feel that from the people around him, to know that on some much deeper level than we can imagine how that must have hurt Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to take that whole idea yet another step further. That's why I spent the time reviewing last Sunday night's lesson. I want to discuss this morning some of the other pain and heartache that our Lord and Savior who came and gave his life for us must surely have also been pierced with. That he also must have felt and broke his heart as he walked amongst selfish, sinful, uncaring, ungrateful, and salvation rejecting masses all around him every day. We know that God had a plan in place before the foundation of the world to send Jesus. I often bring up Ephesians 1 and verse 3 and Ephesians 3 verses 8 through 11. How, how God had a plan, uh, Ephesians 1 4, I'm sorry. How God had a plan in place before the foundation of the world because he knew what we were going to do. To send his son to die for our sins. God knew for centuries, even millennia, before it ever happened, exactly. And right down to the last detail, everything he was going to have to suffer. Everything it would cost him to come and die for the sins of mankind. Open your Bibles with me this morning to the 22nd Psalm. And we will see from Psalm number 22... That God knew right down to the last detail and the last word. Centuries and centuries before Jesus ever got here. Exactly what it was going to cost him. In Psalm 22, we see the exact words and circumstances prophesied and portrayed by David. Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? And of course we recognize right there in this psalm that, that David uttered by inspiration of the Holy Spirit hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was ever born. We recognize right there in that very text. God knew exactly the words he was going to say on that cross as he hung there in the flesh. He knew. In verses 6 through 8 of this same psalm, we read the following. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And of course, we know from the four accounts of the gospel... We know from the New Testament portrayal of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that this very thing happened to Jesus on the cross as, as they walked by and they, they wagged their heads and they said these very words. And so 
God is letting us know centuries beforehand. He knows. He knows. He knows the awful pain and the awful cost. He knows what it's going to cost him to come and to try to rescue these people who so desperately need him. And he's willing to pay that price. We look at this psalm a little further in verses 14 through 18 and we see it again. David says, by divine inspiration, I am poured out like water, verse 14. All my bones are out of joint. Crucifixion will do that to you. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands my feet. I can count all my bones. You remember Jesus was ripped open by that scourging. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Jesus Christ knew, God knew the awful cost of coming to rescue us before he ever came. Yeah, he knew. He knew the unimaginable pain and the unendurable price, and yet still he emptied himself of equality with God and came to die on a cross for mankind. Think about what it cost him. Think about leaving the throne of glory. Think about leaving his glorious home in heaven. Think about leaving... Equality with God, Philippians chapter 2. Knowing everything he was going to have to consider. And coming down here because that's the cost of trying to help these people, help you and me. Therefore, this morning I say to you, that brings us to what must have been, had to have been, one of the other heartbreakingly awful, terrible pains that he must have felt right down to the depths of his soul. And you know what that pain was? Had to have been. The outright rejection by the very people he came to be pierced for. The rejection of those he came to save, redeem, and rescue from the fires of eternal hell, if only they would let him into their hearts, into their minds, and into their lives. But that was the last thing they were going to do. How it must have hurt him, who only came to help them when they rejected him. But you know what? He knew that was going to happen too. Long before he ever came. Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says, He is despised. Listen, listen. You can turn there later. Make a note. Listen. Isaiah 53 and verse 3, written about 700 years before Jesus came. It says, He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Same sentence. He is acquainted with grief. He is familiar with grief. He is familiar with grieving and having his heart broken. And in that same sentence that is tied to 
He's being rejected by those he came to save. How it must have broken his heart. To be rejected by those he loved so much and only came to help. But that's just one more thing that makes his coming so much more special. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John. The Gospel according to John chapter 1. Look at how this is confirmed. He knew. And the New Testament confirms that his very own people would reject him who was paying such a terribly high price to come. In John 1, in verses 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ, the light of the, light of the world. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, as it were. The second of the three members of the Godhead... And the light, verse 5, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. If we get down to verses 10 and 11, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. He was there in the beginning. He was God. He, he, the world was made through Him. And yet when He came to that world that He made, that He created, they didn't know Him. He came to His own. He didn't just come to the world, he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. His own people rejected him. And he only wanted the best for them forever. Look a little further in the Gospel of John in chapter 6. We know the story. Jesus is given a hard teaching. A lot of his disciples can't handle the truth. They walk away. And in verse 66... John 6 and verse 66, ironically, right? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus said to the twelve, You also want to go away? I don't know Jesus' tone when he said that. I don't know his body language. And I've, I've often read that. And sometimes when we read in Scripture, we try to picture how somebody would say something. And, and we don't really know because it's text on a page, but I used to think that Jesus maybe looked at them and said, do you want to go away too? And maybe he did, I don't know, but as I think about this sermon and I think about this topic and I think about these scriptures, I have to wonder, at least in my heart, if Jesus didn't look at those who were his own, wondering if they were going to reject him too and just stare at him, look at him in the eye and say, do you want to go away too? You're going to reject me too? You're going to walk away? If we turn to the book of Mark, in chapter 3, we would see his pain and anguish again for the same reasons as we've discussed. Mark chapter 3. Talked about this one, I believe, in that sermon last Sunday night, but I want to bring something else out. Mark 3, verse 1. He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him close, closely, whether he would heal him on a Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Jesus knew what they were doing. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. 
Then he came to them, or then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? What's the right thing to do, boys? They kept silent. When he had looked around at them with anger, they just didn't get it. They didn't understand love. They didn't understand he was all... Religious people, no less. They didn't get it. And it says he looked around at them with anger, but then notice the next line, next few words, being grieved by the hardness. It broke his heart that they were like that. Yes, he was angry, but the Bible says he was grieved. His heart was breaking because theirs was so hardened. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Here's proof that their hearts are so hard, and it breaks his heart. Did Jesus come to save the Pharisees too? Did he come to save these religious people too? These were his people. These were the Jews. They went out, plotted to destroy him because their hearts were so hard. How it must have broken his heart. Turn to me in your Bibles to Mark 10. Don't know as we see this much clearer anywhere in the four gospel accounts than here. Mark 10 and verse 17. It says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what will I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. This kid was raised right. This kid knew the scriptures. He kept the scriptures. This kid had been brought up right. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. If you don't have that underlined or highlighted in your Bible, underline that word, loved. Then Jesus, looking at Jesus, loved this man. Jesus loved him. Jesus wanted him to go to heaven. He knew the investment that had been made in him. He knew that he knew the scriptures. And Jesus just loved him and did not want him to have to go to hell. And he loved him and he wanted him with him. But Jesus knew what was in him. He said to him, one thing you lack. You know, sometimes when we love people, we still, as part of that love, have to tell them what they lack. Jesus did that. He said, there's still something you're missing. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Jesus loved him, and he wanted him with him, and he wanted him as part of his group. And he said, there's just this one thing that's standing in your way. You know the scriptures, there's just one thing. But of course, Jesus knew before he said that what was going to happen. The man, verse 22, was sad at that point, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. What a terrible waste this story is. Not the story, but what a waste of this young man's life. As I say, since childhood, he'd known, been raised right, he knew. 
Now look at him, he's walking away. But you know, one of the bright parts of this story, I don't know whatever happened to him, but the one little ray of hope here for this guy, we call him rich young ruler. You know, sometimes in our youth and immaturity, we need to do a little growing up, and I hope that it may be at some point that he did. If we look finally in Luke 19, in Luke 19, they didn't only reject Jesus as that young man did, but in Luke 19, we see that a whole group of them had, and we see how it broke Jesus' heart. You know, the Bible says that Jesus wept, yes, but it says it twice, not just once in John 11.35. talks about how in verse 41 of Luke 19, as he drew near and saw the city again, Jesus weeps. He weeps over the city, and he says in verse 42 of Luke 19, If you had known, even you, I mean, this was God's city, this was Zion, this was Jerusalem, this was the city of David, this was the cream of the crop of God's people, or it was supposed to be. If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every... Jesus knew what was coming for these people because, because, they would not accept him as their savior. And level you and your children within you to the ground, and they'll not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus said, you did not accept me. You did not understand that I was here for you. And that made Jesus cry. That broke his heart. He knew the price that they were going to pay for rejecting him, even though they would deny it at this point. He goes on in that very... Next chapter in Luke 20 in verses 9 through 19 to explain to them or indicate to them how he had known about their rejection of him and their rejection of his love for a long time. But despite that, they still rejected him. But despite that, he had not yet given up on them. Isn't God awesome? Jesus did not give up on them despite their rejection of him. A point he proves even further in Luke 23 and verse 34. Jesus is being led out there to Golgotha. Can you imagine the pain? We know about the scourging and the carrying the cross and falling beneath its weight. And we, we know the story. And for those of us who have seen the depiction and the passion, that probably isn't too far off in a lot of respects. We know the struggle, the blood loss. We know the horrible suffering that this man endured physically, not to even mention the even worse spiritual. And what does Jesus say as he's being led out there in Luke 23 and verse 34? He looks at them and he says, Father... And I don't believe he just said, Father, please forgive them. Jesus at this point is, he's thirsty, he's, he's bled out quite a bit, and, and must have struggled through, through beaten and bruised and bloodied, swollen lips to even spit. I don't even know if you were standing close to him, if you could have understood what he said. Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. If that is not a heart that is breaking, if you can't hear Jesus' heart breaking when he prays that, you ain't listening.
And we see his great love for his own who rejected him still on display even after they crucified him. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. And he begins his sermon this way when he says in verse 22 of Acts 2, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. You are the very ones who are responsible for his crucifixion, Peter says. And yet at the end of this sermon in verses 36 through 41, what is offered to these very people who put Jesus on the cross? What does he say? The promise is for you and for all your children, for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he pleaded with them to be saved from that perverse generation. The point here is this. The very ones who were responsible for putting him on the cross that rejected him even to that degree, Jesus Christ still extended his love and forgiveness. And even though 3,000 responded by accepting his gift and being baptized into Christ, there were still many times that amount of people there that day that continued to still reject Jesus. Can you imagine how that must have hurt him? The question that I want all of us to consider this morning is this. Hasn't Jesus heard enough? Hasn't his heart been broken by enough rejection already? You see, every time, every time, the invitation is given at the end of a lesson to repent and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of one's sin. Every time that invitation is given to accept that gift on the giver's terms, after all it cost him, after all the blood that it cost him, after all the glories of heaven that it cost him, every time that invitation is given, and somebody who knows they need to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins refuses and rejects that, they cause Jesus pain. They're slapping the hand that is extended in blood with that gift of salvation and everything it costs. They say, no, I don't want it. I'm not interested in your gift. Because they were interested, they would accept it. And that must cause Jesus great pain because His gift is rejected. It rejects his purpose for your life. Just like those in Luke 7 and verse 30. They rejected the purpose of God because they were not baptized with the baptism of John when that was in effect in Luke 7 and verse 30. But that isn't where it stops. It 
Same could be said every time that one of us has the opportunity to speak up for Jesus Christ. To speak up for Him to somebody who doesn't know Him. And we choose to just stay silent. We choose to just deny that opportunity. We choose to not share the gift. You know what we're doing? We're rejecting Jesus. We're causing Him more pain. He paid way too much for us to keep our mouths shut about the gift. Every time we have the opportunity to tell the lost about Jesus and we reject it and deny it and choose not to, we're causing Him pain. Every time we have the opportunity, brethren, hear me please. Every time we have the opportunity to love and to serve and to forgive and to give like Jesus Christ did it and we refuse to do it, we are rejecting Jesus and hurting Him. God wants His people to love and serve and give to and forgive one another in the same way that He did us. This is His gift to us. This is what He showed us how to do on the cross. And when we refuse to do that and we keep ugliness or we keep sin or we keep a grudge or we keep all of this, this ugly stuff inside, we're causing Jesus pain. Not only do we hurt ourselves when we do that and hurt our own chances for eternal life, but we also grieve the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us so much that He left heaven to come down here and experience all the ugliness this world could throw at Him. Hasn't Jesus Christ hurt enough? If you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, don't reject Him this morning. If there is something in your heart that is not what God would have there towards a brother, sister, or somebody else, you need to get rid of it and stop hurting Jesus. He's hurt enough. If you need the prayers of the church for more strength, that you will be a stronger Christian and able to do better in those areas, we would invite you to the front to do that now or to be baptized into Christ as we stand and as we sing.